Welcome back to this episode of Proceedings Podcast. Today it's my pleasure and I'm excited to welcome Master Gunnery Sergeant Scott Stalker, who is the current senior enlisted leader of United States Space Command. He assumed that role 28 August of 2020. So Scott is originally from Lebanon, New Hampshire, and he served in a variety of combat and contingency deployments, including Operation Restore Hope in Somalia, Operation Deny Flight and Provide Promise in Bosnia. Uh, he's done several tours in Operation Iraqi Freedom. So he served as the command senior enlisted leader for the National Security Agency, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and most recently, United States Cyber Command. He's a graduate of many service and Department of Defense schools, and he's earned a BA from American Public University and Intelligence Analyst. And he was recently accepted into the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, where he will complete a graduate program on leadership. So Master Guns, welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. How's life treating you these days? talk to you uh, today you know you're someone i look at as a, as a leader and someone to emulate so thanks for the opportunity it's beautiful out here in colorado springs we had snow last week it's about 75 degrees today so uh, go figure with mother nature right yeah is it a welcome change in the environment from what you were doing here in dc it is a most welcome change especially uh, specifically uh with regards to the environment because it seems like the operational tempo in dc never ends uh, and out here while we're busy and, and we're engaged, uh, there is a, a little bit more of a work-life balance. You know, just this morning, I walked to work from my house, which is right across the street. Yeah, I think you and I actually caught up personally in your last billet uh, over on the Naval Academy. I think uh, we met up with then Jeff Kirby, who was the command master chief for the Naval Academy. So it's good to catch up with you again. Yeah, that was that was a great opportunity to talk to, you know, in my hat previously with Cyber Command, to talk to some of the midshipmen that were going to... Uh, start to work in that that uh, field and so talking to them and getting to understand the curriculum they're teaching you know it really excited me because uh, when when we came in uh, none of that was being taught it didn't exist then and, and and so we're, we're creating this war fighting domain but we're also bringing in future leaders so it was good to see the uh, the future ensigns and second lieutenants getting that uh, curriculum there at the, at the naval academy awesome you know november is the marine focus edition of proceedings magazine uh, and there's a lot of great articles if you had a chance. I know you're a member of the Naval Institute, and I'm sure you're going to read a lot of that. We had the third place winner of the Marine Corps essay contest uh, was a sergeant um, who won. So I sent him a note, and I CC'd uh, uh, Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Troy Black, as well, just to kind of you know inform him, hey, one of you were enlisted Marines, took third place in that contest. So that was great. You know, the Commandant of the Marine Corps even mentioned in this episode of, or this edition of the magazine – you know, how he wants to get the Marine Corps involved in fighting and helping defeat submarines. So it's kind of cool to see how different services are playing across domains they normally wouldn't. And one domain we're definitely all fighting in, uh, I know I wasn't familiar with it because it's not my background, is this world of cyber. So I wanted to talk to you about that um, and obviously space as well, which we'll get to in a little bit since you've served in those and you're serving in those. What do you want to offer the listeners as your set, just basic assessment of the cyber threat that's out there? And our capability to defend and defeat it, and then what is the enlisted forces' role in that mission set? Yeah, thanks, Paul. And I can tell you, the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps was probably excited to see that email. Uh, we get a lot of things that are uh, really challenging and oftentimes negative. So to get a positive email from you, I'm quite certain he's uh, he's really excited. And I, and I also read the Commandant's article as we uh, look at the Marine Corps and how we can impact uh, our adversaries in, in the submarine and the undersea domain. So I thought that was a really interesting article. You know, really, in, in the cyber world, in the prior years, we would have reacted to an event. If an adversary was on our network, we would conduct an operation to get them off. 
But today, Cyber Command is really doing something we call hunting forward. And so when you think of our cyber operators, don't just think of them as kids in the basements. They're actually oftentimes forward deployed getting after uh, the mission. And, and one of the, uh, you know, the operational vignettes I can talk to is, is in Montenegro, where the Montenegrin government invited us over. We sent a forward deployed uh, hunt forward team of cyber operators to, to get on their networks and found uh, some things that the Russians were doing. This was prior to the, the elections, and, and oh, by the way, you know, today uh, is the 4th of November, and we just had the elections, of course, and we're, we're going through that right now. But it allowed us to learn from our adversary, to learn from the Russians by hunting forward, to see what they're doing there. And after a hunt forward mission has been completed, Cyber Command works with other parts of the government to disclose those findings. And so now we're all educated and informed about what the adversary is doing uh, is doing. Those findings enable the U.S. government to defend critical networks more effectively, and they allow a large antivirus companies to update their products to better protect the users, us, the consumers. Uh, the net effect of that is, is predominantly many hunt forward missions that Cyber Command conducts in recent years has been the mass inoculation of millions of systems, which has reduced the future effectiveness of the exposed malware in our adversaries. Ultimately, it reduces um, and it, ex it imposes a cost in our adversaries. So what do I see in terms of the enlisted service members serving in this domain? Quite frankly, in most of the services, they are dominated. You know, if you if you take a CTN today, uh, I can recall specifically a senior chief in the United States Navy, a CTN, who was assigned to an Army team, and his actions uh, at the unclass level led to a specific named operation being successful. And we had General Dunford come up shortly after his operations and, and, and tell that small team that it was because of them that we averted a war. And so the enlisted members play a huge role in both leadership and subject matter expertise, teaching the curriculum uh, in the cyber warfighting domain. And I, I expect they'll continue to do so. Uh, so it's a world that I think people are hearing about, but it's often people, I think they underestimate the capabilities or the cost or damage other countries could do to us. So when you talk things like a critical network, what would that mean to the average American out there? And kind of what things do people need to be aware of that other countries could potentially try to get at with us? Yeah, I think the critical networks are both uh, things we've got to defend and also things that obviously we would be a targeting of an adversary. In, in some ways, in, in, the, in the sense of you think of the zero day effect where an adversary may try to gain access to a network, not so that they can do something today about it, but the, the potential for conflict in the future, they then have access to a domain. And so, you know, we, we would want to make sure, obviously, our Department of Defense networks, our, you know, our DOTUS, and all of the, uh, the critical infrastructure we have to do command and control, uh, precision-guided munitions, satellite communications, GPS, all of the networks involved in that need to be protected because if there's one instance where an adversary has access, over time they may try to up those accesses to gain further uh, accesses and maybe uh, potentially even grant themselves administrative rights, ultimately owning the system. And so that's why we have to do these hunt forward operations instead of how we did things in the past where we would wait to see an adversary on the network and kick them off. Now it's protecting a specific pieces of critical infrastructure. You know, you look at the elections um, and, and how much Cyber Command and NSA was working as a whole of government approach to that. The elections are critical infrastructure. We can't have adversaries changing votes. That's unacceptable. And it's slightly different from the information environment where they use social media to potentially manipulate the masses by putting out fake messages. 
Uh, last count that I had, I think there was 16 pieces of critical infrastructure. That could be the economy, roads and bridges, uh, our FAA, those things like that. It's critical that we pr- protect against uh, having adversary access to any of those. So obviously the government and DODs invest in this area. On the civilian sector side, clearly they've got some capability too. What's the partnership look like, for example, to protect the banking sector? Is there a partnership there? Because you guys don't own all of that, right? Yeah. And to be clear, again, I'm not with Cyber Command anymore. Right. Um, but but we, have, we have those relationships. Most of the time, um, those would go through the, the Federal Bureau of Investigation as a supporting effort to their, to their requirements or uh, to the Department of Homeland Security. And we would work directly with them. Uh, and, and then when, when asked, we could provide subject matter expertise or, or technical capacity to, to their efforts. But uh, you're, you're right, actually, as you premise this question, uh, much of the, uh, the banking system is really, really sharp in this because they can't afford to get this wrong. Right. Uh, and so you so having, uh, you know, banking on your phone, oftentimes at least two-person authentication, some kind of biometric uh, requirement to, to even uh, view your, your banking accounts. All of those things play into uh, being smart and, and being cyber smart. But we can have all of the technical capabilities we, ha- we want. We can have all of the defense mechanisms out there. But if you have uh, uh, an individual on the team who just makes a bad decision and clicks on a link, that could really uh, thwart all of your efforts. And so you've got to have not just the technical capabilities, but a really intelligent workforce as well. Now you're in your new job as Spacecom, Senior Enlisted Leader, um, been in the seat now a few months. So how do you feel about this role? What excites you the most? And how do you think it'll be different from the Cybercom SEL role? I feel great. I love, I love what we do. I love the people. We're building a team here. Uh, you mentioned I got here on the 28th of August. On the 29th of August, we celebrated our one-year birthday. Okay. Um, and I'm currently involved in all of our operations. I've been here two months, but you know, really diving in headfirst. Uh, the onboarding of our new service members and employees as we have civilians here as well, uh, and multiple engagements with our people. So I've been able to travel even in, in uh, light of the COVID situation uh, and talk to the majority of our, our individuals and our components, focusing on our mission to defend, deter, uh, develop, deliver, and defeat our adversaries in, from, and to space. And so you think of those kind of in a 5D lane. Um, I look at where do I fit in as a senior enlisted of all of those, but I'm really focusing on that warfighting mindset, the ethos of all of that, which leads to ultimately readiness. Our service members have to be ready at home. I think of things like financially developing our enlisted workforce so that not only do they understand the space warfighting domain, but they understand how it applies to conflict at sea, to ground combat, and so on and so forth. Um, Really working on the ethos here of being physically and mentally ready uh, we just started our Warrior PT. We do that weekly, uh, and then monthly we get together as a command. It's been challenging given COVID, but we figure out ways to get after it, being physically and mentally tough, focusing on that grit, um, and then spiritual and mental readiness, making sure that we remove the stigmas of receiving mental health, um, seeking mental health. Because as I tell people here, if you have a physical wound, you go, you know, you go get it bandaged up and you get back in the fight. Uh, we should think of it that way as a mental wound and really focusing on that post-traumatic growth aspect of that, not just the fact that we have a mental wound. And so there's an awful lot that we're, we're doing here. I'm involved in, in multiple layers of it um, and have a great relationship with, with my commander, General Dickinson. Okay. Uh, so how big is the command right now? So the headquarters is just over 600 people. We are doing a combat command review, which will uh, will potentially get us to about 900 to 1,000. We purposely decided not to have a massive headquarters because we want to put more of our people at the workforce components. 
that are executing missions. So you think of Joint Task Force Space Defense here at Schriever or the Combined Force Space Component Command out at Vandenberg Air Force Base. We purposely kicked out some of our headquarters uh, to, to suit them. Um, and so, you know, a couple of other things that I'm, I'm focusing on, too, is both our service and our joint PMEs, which uh, to date aren't where I think they need to be in relations to uh, teaching the space uh, curriculum to, you know, E4s and O2s all the way up to CE9s and O10s. And so we're, we're, we're layering that in uh, and, and offering that up to the services and then putting that directly into the joint PME. I just was talking to a SOCOM class yesterday, and I provided an hour of PME to them to get them to understand the space warding, warfighting domain. And so we're, we're really uh, focusing on that and then, and then obviously our 5Ds uh, on our mission set. You know, who are your subcomponents? What's that structure? Has it been determined yet? Or is that still being figured yeah. out? We're excited to soon have MARFOR space. We, we have kind of the idea behind it, but the Commandant of the Marine Corps has to sign the Marine Corps bulletin. That'll officially give us our service component for MARFOR space. Vice Admiral Wright, uh, Myers, Ross Myers, excuse me, and uh, Command, Sar- uh, Command Master Chief Scott Nagel, uh, are now the NAV space component. Their dual hat, obviously, is fleet cyber, okay. but they're also NAV space. And then we have uh, the Space Force has op- has provided, just like last week, they, they stood up their Space Force service component, which will be providing forces to Space Command. And so we're there. And then we also have the United States Army Space and Missile Defense Center as a service component. And then our operational components, we have two of those. Again, Joint Task Force Space Defense which does exactly what it sounds like, and then the Combined Force Space Component Command, which has more than our five eyes. It ha- we have a Japanese LNO. We have multiple different countries there working with us. And then one of the other things we have there that's critical is our commercial integration cell, which allows us to not only understand what the, our, our industry is doing, but update them on the, on the current and future threats so that as, as they design capability, their understanding of, of what the uh, adversaries may be targeting. So what's going on with the ranks? I know there's been some back and forth on whether if you're going with Navy rank structure slash Coast Guard type stuff or whether you're going to go with Army Air Force kind of structures. I'm at Space Command, not in the Space Force. But what I will tell you is uh, Chief Toberman, my predecessor, who is now the senior enlisted advisor of the United States Space Force, he's working that really closely with General Raymond. And so I'm not involved in that conversation or decision. What I will tell you is confident. Uh, it'll come out uh, exactly how, how they're looking at. But but I have also heard those conversations, too, whether it's going to be naval rank or something else. I genuinely don't know, and, and I purposely removed myself from that as we're uh, the combat command focusing on the war fighting, and he's focusing on the man, train, and equip piece. Okay. So, obviously, you know, Naval Institute, we primarily have a naval audience, you know, U.S. Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard. But I think it's important for them to understand why – we have to have dominance in this area of space from their perspective. So can you give us some insight on why it's important to dominate there and, you know, what you can tell us? What kind of capabilities are we looking at in space and why just that kind of general background would be informative? Absolutely. Let me start by saying we have a $20 trillion economy which runs on space. And so that alone tells you the the gravity and, and importance uh, of, of this domain, that we've got to be able to see, characterize, and understand the adversary in space. We've got to be able to track space debris. Uh, and right now, we're, we're, we're tracking upwards of 26,000 things in space, whether they're satellites, space debris, or other objects. Um, and so we, we, we rely heavily on space. If you think of a fight uh, in, in great power competition, and, and let's say we were in the South China Sea, 
and, and you have naval forces spread across the spectrum, we're going to rely heavily on SATCOM to communicate with one another. Um, and so that's a, a, an understanding of, of space that we've got to have throughout. More than any other nation, the United States relies on space-based capabilities to project and employ power on a global scale. And that could be our economy, that could be industry, and that could be the Department of Defense. Our ability to have this conversation, our ability to do things on the phone, the Internet, GPS, SATCOM, it's critical. Right now, there are really three services that have enlisted subject matter experts, MOSs, ratings, AFSC, pick your joint vernacular. Um, and that's the Space Force and the Air Force. They have the One Charlie 6, which is a space systems operator. And then the United States Army has the 25 Sierra satellite operators. And then they have a special skill identifier, which is a space enabler. Our service, the Navy and the Marine Corps, we don't have specific individuals who get an MOS or a rating in space. Uh, but we do have a lot of folks in, in this uh, command. Uh, and, then, and then they provide enabling support as well. And so I, I, I look at how that's going to mature over time. If the, the naval services will bring in uh, those MOSs and ratings, I'm not sure where that, that may go. But we do have, again, those naval, we do have NAP space, and in the future we expect to have MARFOR space. Um, and so subject matter expertise is going to be needed, but also that warfighting spirit and mindset that they bring uh, both from, from the land and sea and air. Okay, uh, so your boss right now is General Dickinson, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So what are his priorities and how do you see yourself engaging to promote and help achieve those? Yeah, so he's uh, he's outlined five key tasks. And what was interesting, Paul, is when I sat down with him, he said, hey, you and I are the same person. We're a command team. Um, and so we try to spend most of our time apart where we do a divide and conquer. Uh, and I understand what he has placed a value on and he understands what I'm working on. And then we get together uh, several times, whether it's via text or we live next door to each other. Or, or we just communicate here in the office. He's outlined five key tasks for us. Uh, first and foremost is to build and maintain key relationships. You know how critical that is, and that's industry, academia, Department of Defense, joint, uh, you name it. We want to integrate with our commercial and inter- interagency organizations. Again, a critical piece to this. You look at things like SpaceX, who has been able to do things in space and save millions and millions of dollars. We want to be able to capitalize on that technology and speed uh, that industry provides to us. We want to implement best cybersecurity practices. To our point earlier, uh, we can have all of the tools in the world, but if we're not smart in a cyber sense, uh, our adversaries can take that over or or render it null and void, quite frankly. Building the command, which is uh, really taking the staff here from immature to maturing, and then finally to matured, uh, that takes a little bit of time as we, we do the sets and reps through exercises, training, and then quite frankly, getting out in the operating environment. And then lastly, of course, is knowing our competition. You can you can put that, you know, as, as ISR, but understanding our adversaries and their capabilities as well. I fit into all of those. Understanding our, our adversaries, that's something as an intelligence professional I take great pride in. Building the command, working with the chief of staff, working with the JDERS, working with the, the enlisted here so that we can really be a mature and effective staff, similar in, in many ways to how CENTCOM has to be because they've been doing this for decades on end. Cybersecurity practices, we talked about that, but obviously I have a lane in there as well. But lastly is, is building and, and maintaining those key relationships. And for me, that's having the, the relationships with the SEAC, the Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Colon Lopez, with the Service Senior Enlisted Advisors, and then all of my combat command peers so that I have up and lateral 
uh, and then and then being able to to talk to my team here about the relationships and the importance of what they're doing and how we can support them. And so that's how I fit into all of those five key tasks the combatant commander has outlined here. So far, you've been in there a little bit. You're getting oriented, but what's kind of really cool about it, and what what is most daunting about it? What is really cool about this domain is I think, and I mean this genuinely, the people here wake up thinking, I get to go do this, not I have to go do this. And so we have a, we have a situation here where um, until Congress makes a basing decision where our headquarters is going to be, because right now we're in a provisional headquarters, we can't physically get more people into the building. We're, we're about max capacity, and we have the Space Force service component here in the same building with us. And so I have, on a daily basis, a lot of people calling me up, asking to come out here to get orders. How do I be a part of Space Command? And I have the individuals here, both civilian and service members, that love what they do. And so that's really cool. It's, it's inspiring to, to have those, those that, that challenge um, and, and, and to bring them on board and to get them engaged. I think the opposite of that, um, it, it's more of a challenge, to my latter point there is, um, uh, my former point, excuse me, that we are running out of space. And so we've got to get, uh, we've, got to, we've got to think of unique ways to, to do meetings. COVID has presented some challenges with that, especially in the space domain. You know, not everyone in our workforce, matter of fact, not not anyone except for a couple are going to be able to have JWICs at the house. And so when you want to talk space or cyber or some of the intelligence things that we're doing, uh, you, you find it's really hard when people are teleworking or are working from home because they don't have the comm suite that they need. We're working through all that, and, and, it, and it just presents opportunities. And, and I hope in many ways we learn from some of these things that COVID has thrown at us. The fact that you and I can do a podcast from thousands of miles away the fact that we can do a lot of VTCs instead of flying all over the place presents an opportunity, but it does present a challenge when when physical relationships are necessary often. You know, I was listening to a podcast that uh, Vice Admiral Caudill, the commander of submarine forces for the Navy, was doing, and he mentioned one of his priorities is, you know, ensuring they had that warrior mindset, right? He called it the knife and teeth kind of thing. So how do you develop that or what does that look like in cyber or space force where – Frankly, some of the stuff's invisible. The, you know, what does that warrior mindset look like on that end? Uh, and I'll tell you specifically, it's Space Command it is my number one priority. And so what, I, what I've tried to do here in the two months that I've been here is, first and foremost, we, we did institute warrior physical fitness. We did institute that you would be out there regardless of your physical situation. If you have a chit that says you can't PT, you're out there anyways uh, supporting the team. It's all about building uh, that that team and, and embracing shared hardships together. You have to have experienced what it's like to be at sea. You have to have experienced what it's like to be in ground combat uh, in order to really appreciate the impacts and, and, and the urgency needed to support the warfighter on the ground or at sea. And so we do our best to, to inculcate that. We, we, you know, we, we have conversations. I've had several all calls with, with the enlisted folks here to talk about it. Um, and then, and then it's just continuing to do this, um, and, and bringing in special operations individuals, bringing in warriors that have, uh, been out at sea, have fought in the ground, and, and really exposing this command more and more to those individuals. Because in the past, quite frankly, we had a lot of space operators talking to space operators. I want to know when we've had an aircraft carrier commander here. I want to know when we had uh, the chief of the boat here. I want to know when we've had an infantry um, master gunnery sergeant in, in this building talking to them. I think not only do we need uh, to be presenting information to them, but we need to hear from them about the relevancy and the urgency um, our support provides to them. And so doing this over time really creates that 
that urgency and that warfighting ethos that is necessary in this combat command and, and all of them. Okay. So you touched on a little bit earlier, but uh, let's get into your relationship with the other senior enlisted leaders. At either, you know, which ones at the COCOMs do you work mostly with? And then what's your relationship with the SEAC and then the service senior enlisted leaders? What things are you guys working together? Great question. We just finished up the Defense Senior Enlisted Leader Conference literally a few days ago, last week. Okay. Um, and that is, that's hosted by the SEAC. All the services, uh, the SEAs attend, and then the combat commands attend as well. I've been privileged enough to have been doing this for a while, so I have an excellent relationship with most of them. But there are some some new faces. So you think of, of Stratcom. we got John Perryman up there now, Fleet Master Chief John Perryman. I don't have a relationship with him. We've exchanged a couple emails, but it's incumbent upon me uh, when I get an opportunity to either bring him out here or, or go up and see him uh, to get to understand his challenges a little bit more. We're working closely, though, on, uh, like I mentioned earlier, both the service and the joint PME because we've got to educate the force about space and all domain warfighting and the capabilities. Right now, if you were to go on JKO, Joint Knowledge um, Online, you would see slides in there that talk about space, and they were from 1991. And so, so those are severely outdated. Where we, where we really focus on the traditional domains of land, air, and sea, that's not where the fight potentially is going to be first and foremost. We've got to understand space. And so we're focusing on that. Here at Space Command, I'm really focusing on service culture. We've done the Navy birthday. We had a ceremony. We honored the Navy. Um, I told them I wasn't going to tell them they, um, how to do it, but I'm telling them they have to, to do that. Uh, the Air Force, uh, when I first got here, we did the Air Force birthday. And here in a couple days, we'll recognize the Marine Corps birthday as well. Really focusing on service culture. I had an opportunity to, to visit with the MCPON a few days, a few weeks ago. Um, as he was getting ready to travel, he was gracious enough uh, to meet with me just as he was flying off to the airport. And, and I think that those relationships, they've got to be authentic, and they require purposeful engagements built on trust. What I told the MCPON, what I told the Chief Master on the Air Force and others, is whoever you send to us here at Space Command, my goal, my obligation to you is to make them a better product. And so I think they have that trust with me. They know I'm going to work them hard. I'm going to hold them accountable, but I'm going to hold them to the service standard. Um, and so far, we've been successful. Let's be frank, you always have a couple that's uh, – that you've got to work on a little harder than others and some that just don't get it. But in a lean uh, organization such as the one I have, it makes it a lot easier. So I think those relationships are good, but I'm going to continue to foster them. So let's get into forums such as Naval Institute. Like I said, I know you're a member. You've been a friend of the Naval Institute. And uh, it really is there to provide a voice for Naval, you know, particularly. It, actually, we're open to all any service that wants to contribute to the forum. But, you know, what are your thoughts on the importance of the forum such as Naval Institute to provide that voice? You know, you could talk about the article we just mentioned earlier, the comment on the Marine Corps wrote. I think every Marine, I think every naval professional needs to read that article. And I think, you know, the great piece of that, too, is is you can have a professional disagreement, have an opportunity to write an article, and, and then there's a, you know, a, a conversation about things. So, you know, besides the constitutional rights of free speech and freedom of expression, to me, I think it's important in a world of advanced and advancing technologies that we adapt quickly to the future operating environment. And we do that by valuing input from all members of the team and being a professional combat athlete. To me, a professional takes time to study, grow, and learn more. And we need all hands on deck if we're going to innovate at speed, deter aggression, and be able to fight and win when called upon. So you look at the USNI, Naval Proceedings, other professional forums, they allow that voice to be heard by the professionals that are in our fields. We can you know, comment and we can post memes and we can do all of that, but ultimately at the end of the day, you've got to provide you got to find professional forums that talk about naval warfighting, naval culture, naval history, 
Um, and that is, to me, what USNI brings. And so I'm a proud member. I, I, I love uh, being a member and, and reading the articles that are out there. Um, and, you know, I've had some, some conversations with my peers about things that maybe we should present. And I'm actually looking at some opportunities in the warfighting domain that I am particularly invested in today and how I can provide a, an article to USNI. So absolutely, I think it's, it's necessary. And it also professionalizes you. It, it really forces you to improve a little bit more because when you're writing your thoughts down, you got to really know what you're talking about. You can't just vomit something out on a piece of paper. Any last thoughts you want to offer to the listeners um, on you know Space Force, the importance of it, uh, and then where can listeners learn more about Space Force and what's going on? Well, let, let me start with that. Again, the Space Force is, is one of the six branches of the armed forces um, with the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, and Coast Guard. They stood up on the 20th of December. We are the combatant command headquarters uh, of Space Command, and so there, there's a difference where the Space Force provides forces to the Joint Force Commander, and granted, much of those forces are going to be in Space Command. We, we have a Joint Force here at Space Command. And, and one, one other thing I'd like to talk about Space Command that most may not realize is we're actually a geographic combat command. We're, we're given an assigned area of responsibility of 100 kilometers north of Earth and basically infinite. And so we have that large uh, area of responsibility that has been assigned to us as a geographic combat command. Let me just talk, you know, in general to the speakers. As I as I think of someone like you, as as a former fleet master chief, um, I, I know you had the sergeant major of the Marine Corps on there. Uh, how do you get to those levels? And I think first and foremost, you've got to have fun. You've got to enjoy this this profession of arms. And I I think far too often we get caught up in in the day to day grind. Take a moment every once in a while and have fun. Take advantage of opportunities that are presented, both educational opportunities opportunities to do something that is uncomfortable for you, opportunities to deploy, all of those things. I, I tell people, try to say yes a little bit more. This is, this is an enjoyable thing for me. Uh, all really thanks again for this opportunity and look forward to future opportunities engaging with you. Yeah, and speaking of opportunities, this is a cool opportunity for you. Never served in one of the combatant commander SEL roles, but attended many of them and got some really cool briefings and to see how you bring the joint force together to fight under a unified command and the capabilities we can deliver. Uh, many of those we can't talk about, but, you know, in, a, in an era where, you know, there's rising peer threats, I think it's important for us to be able to speak with confidence about our capabilities as well. Absolutely. Amen. Yes, sir. All right. My guest today has been Master Gunner Sergeant Scott Stalker. Again, he's the command senior enlisted leader for United States Space Command. Scott, thanks again for taking some time to uh, join us today on the Proceedings Podcast. Good luck to you, and I look forward to that piece you're going to submit. Thanks, Jim, mate. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll get uh, a little bit more ink to the paper here soon. All right. Take care. Take care. All right, listeners, thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Proceedings Podcast. Remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. Naval Institute.